2: Welcome to the Uncommon Drive podcast with Jeff Cross and Chad Ozy. Join us as we look at life, leadership, and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. I'm late.
3: Welcome to another oh. episode mm-hmm. of the Uncommon Drive. Jeff just said he's late. That's okay. Uh, uh. Uh, we are all good to go today, and we are thrilled that you've chosen to jump in and spend some time with us today as we talk about life. And leadership and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good. I'm very well, thank you for asking. Um, it's been a busy week on the old baseball field. Um, six games in eight days. Wow.
3: And you lot. have enough pitching for six games in eight days? We don't have enough pitching for two games in eight days.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, we manage. You yeah. know what I mean? We get guys opportunities that typically don't pitch. Um, you get guys, I mean, instead of losing... Whatever ten to nothing, you lose fifteen to nothing because you're just not the pitching. So well, it's just the way it is. But I believe that our, our best opportunity to learn from each other and, and for for kids to learn about themselves and for me to learn what my kids can what the kids can do is I have to put them in a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hear people talking about you know like this whole pitching scenario. Well, would you have enough pitching? Well, regardless. If I got a kid who at least throws it over the plate once in a while and now he grounds ball to to a shortstop who's never played shortstop before and he sees that he can make a play and I see that he can make a play, I'm like, okay, maybe we have another shortstop. Mm -hmm. That's the only way I could find that out. Sure. Uh, And it's just, um, as I've told many, many people, there's worse things than losing. And um, I'm okay with playing. The team we played last night I'm probably going to get the number wrong when I'm trying to stay as close as possible. I believe in 10 days, they were playing, they might have been playing 12 games or something like that. Wow. Because they had doubleheaders on on both Saturdays, and the only day off they had was a Monday, basically. So they, they played Friday, two on Saturday, off Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two on Saturday, and again on the, then off on Sunday, then again on that Monday. So... You know, I talked to him. He's like, hey, you know, we got to play. It's all there is to it. So um, if you can get kids to buy into playing instead of worrying about if they're going to win or lose, that's half the battle.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I had a college game just this last week, and I was talking to the coach about, you know, how season was going. He's like, oh, horrible. I mean, just horrible. <laughs> he was <laughs> no making no bones about it. And uh, you talk about how many games they had and how they didn't have enough pitching and all this. And they had had just a ridiculous number of athletes end up ineligible for the second semester Mm -hmm. academically. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what killed them. And uh, for those of you that are not aware, all of the baseball season is in the second semester. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if you can't keep your kids uh, eligible, we, we joke all the time in junior college basketball, that the team you see in November is not the team you're gonna see in January. Right because, you know, half the kids are gonna be academically ineligible mm-hmm. and not able to play second semester. Mm-hmm. So the the team that looked like the team to beat first semester maybe isn't the same team second semester. Baseball, it's a little different because everything is in the same is in the same semester. So you mm-hmm. either have the kid or you don't for the whole season. And at least that's helpful in the way of uh you know, planning, knowing if, if you find out in, you know, January 1st, you're not going to have that kid for the entire semester. Well, then somebody else is going to play shortstop, mm-hmm. just like you said, you know, and they may not be as good as the other guy was, but now you got a couple months to prep them mm-hmm. uh, to get them ready, a little different than basketball. But I, I do think it's really interesting that, um, you know, we, we look at everything as if uh, – it should be a perfect world. Okay, in a perfect world, <laughs> mm-hmm. you would have three pitchers with their full allotment of pitches available for every single baseball game that you play. Mm-hmm. That would be a perfect world. Yep. in a high school game, um, in you know, in a, a college game, you know that would that would be a perfect world. In a perfect world, we would not have rainouts four out of six days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for those of you that are involved uh, in baseball at the high school or college level, you know, that is what we have faced all spring. You know, I joke all the time and say I love basketball because it's 72 and sunny for mm. every single game. Um, and baseball is tough because we we lose games. We have that thing happen. But it's I, I know people that have been doing this a long, long time, much longer than me. And they say they've never seen a year like this year, as far as at the collegiate level, at least all the reschedules that we've had. And then we combine that with the fact that there's, there's fewer officials mm-hmm. than there used to be. Mm-hmm. It makes it difficult. there are college games where they've wanted to move a game from one day to another. And that particular assigner may have had to say, I, I can't get you people that day. Mm-hmm. Like there's nobody left. Uh, and that's, that's, that's really tough. Um, and, but yet we, we get this idea in our mind, you know, per- perfect world is what we need to be in. But yet we, we don't live in a perfect world. No. You know, we, we just don't. And and I think teaching our student athletes to be able to roll with those punches may be one of the greatest lessons that could come out of a season like this, you know, because they're going to face some punches in life. Mm-hmm. And if they can learn on a ball field how to roll with the punches, it's going to make it a whole lot easier to roll with the punches at work. Or with their family, uh, and and things like that.
2: I I think, I think you're you're on point. But I believe there's many athletes that learn to roll with the punches on the field, but then that two hours is over on the field, and they're surrounded by people that can't roll with the punches, Mm. and they go right back to what they were doing before. Okay, and and I've I've talked about this with uh, some. Some people in our school, you know, we don't necessarily have uniforms at our school. Well, we are a private school, we don't have a uniform, but we have we have dress code, and it's constantly being challenged every day. And, you know, uh, we've had I've had you know guidance counselors and other teachers complaining to me about it and you know, all these, you know, bad case scenarios, right? And I looked right at them, I said, listen, I got 12 guys on my team, and I never one day have a problem with dress code. And we have a dress code.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. I I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I very, very rarely have someone not show up in proper practice with hair or game attire. Which doesn't happen. So, for two hours, I got them following that. Mm -hmm. And then they go to school and it becomes something different. Because they're surrounded by people that, whether they don't want to enforce it, there's more outside forces going, it's okay, we don't have to wear dress code whatever that is um in not to say my way is the right way but I believe we're talking about issues that are fixable
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's going to take some work now I can remember when I first put a dress code in my baseball program five six years ago it was work mm-hmm. it was work constantly constantly you know where's your hat go inside get your hat Where's your, you know, pants, whatever that may be all the time. So, but now five, six years later, it's not an issue. Mm -hmm. I just don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with kids being late. I don't have a problem with kids, you know, not having their proper equipment. And, um, you know, my next step is, um, fixing kids body language. You know, when I take a kid out, the body language gets bad. You know, we, we talked a little bit about that last night in our game, um, or after our game. And my thought process is there's 12 kids on my roster, on the roster. And if you have bad body language and you come out, when you go in the workforce and your boss asks you to do something you don't want to do and you have bad body language, your boss is going to look for someone else to do it. Yep. And either you're going to be on outside looking in or you're going to be unhappy at this job for the rest of your life because your boss isn't picking you to do something you want to do. So again, it's the two it's only the two hours that I have them. I'm rounding that number out, right? But we have we have kids in school for eight, six, eight hours, and we have a chance to make a great impact on them. And the adults, sometimes myself included, just get defeated from being challenged by a sixteen year old kid. It's weird how a sixteen year old kid can really defeat defeat a thirty-five year old person.
3: Mm-hmm. How come that is? You know, I I think a lot of what you're talking about could be distilled into the idea of culture. You know, you've created a culture Mm -hmm. with your team that says these are the expectations. And because of that culture, the expectations are met. If you had just simply posted a sign that said Mm. these are the expectations, those expectations would not be met. But what happened is you created a culture that matches the sign, even though there's not a sign. There's not. You a sign. know what I mean? But if there were a sign, I don't
2: have the money to make. You a sign. Uh, you created
3: the <laughs> culture to go with it, and and I think we're going to talk about a few different things today, and I think culture is a, a really great way for us to kind of use as a as a framework to talk about these things. You know, Jeff and I were talking beforehand. Uh, we actually talked for, for quite a while this morning before we started recording. Sometimes we, we come in and we'll, we'll chat for five or ten minutes and get right into the recording. Mm. Today we were catching up. We had a, a phone call or two that kind of interrupted as, as we were talking. But it, it gave us the opportunity to, to talk back and forth about a couple things. Um, Jeff and I both love officiating. We really do. Mm-hmm. Um, we love the people. We love the atmosphere. We love all of that. Um, and part of officiating is how do we do what we do? you know, as I've termed it, the nuts and bolts of Mm -hmm. officiating. And uh, if you're new to our podcast and you got here because you typed in a keyword of officiating or referee or umpire or all those kinds of things, and you got here, uh, I want you to know that that is something you can get from our podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have lots of episodes that are in the can uh, that you can go back and listen to, and, and you can find stuff that is very... Uh, nuts and bolts, how-to kind of driven. But one of the things that Jeff and I get really excited about talking about sometimes are these things that we might not think of as as really being about officiating, but yet they make such a huge impact in how we officiate. They, They make a difference in how we approach our games, in how we approach our partners, in how we deal with our 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 families and friends and all that then give us the freedom to be able to to do the officiating side of of who we are, and so uh, today is is kind of going to be one of those days. We're going to kind of slip back and forth between some of these these ideas. Uh, but this idea of culture, I, I think Jeff is is huge. I, I think we have this idea of our, our personal culture that we create. We have the culture of the sport that we're in. We have the culture of the community that we we live in, you know. But you talk about this idea of of these expectations that you have for your players. You know, what are expectations that you have for yourself? Like if you said, you know, what what is your culture. What is what is Jeff Cross's culture as an official? What is it that makes you different than other people that go about their business?
0: Hmm.
2: Well, it's a tough question because I don't know what other people are doing. Hmm. I know what I'm doing, okay? Um some people I also would say that if you ask this question to some other people, they would tell you they think they're working really hard mm-hmm. and then you put them next to me for instance they'd be like, oh I'm not working that hard mm-hmm. I may think that I'm working really really hard, but you put me next to final four official and I'm not working that hard
3: mm-hmm.
2: so um but a day for me in officiating and how do I how do I improve is I mean mandatory to get up early every day Monday through Monday i I do not I would say I slept in a little bit today and got up around six. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's so important for me to get up and, uh, take on the day head on with, um, I don't, I don't necessarily have to take a shower right away. I don't necessarily have to do those things, but I need to, the first 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes even an hour into my day, I need to put good stuff into my brain right away. So whether that's reading a book, listening to a podcast, watching a YouTube video, you know, something that's going to be going to keep me. Uh, challenge and keep my brain active mm-hmm. for the entire day. Uh, that is, and I typically do that in the, in the morning. Don't have a whole lot of time after that because it's time to work now. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, whatever, whatever I'm doing, right. You know, um going for a walk and a little exercise in, you know, trying to decide, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of what, where I'm at today. You know, what, if I'm going to be working on the field, if I'm going to be doing those things. So, Um, who am I going to communicating with? Um, but if the, the major, the major pillar is get up early and start that first half hour to an hour with stuff that is quality, not the news, not, you know, Oh, did you hear the world's coming to an end? Lock the doors, you know, not, Oh, there's another 10,000 cases of COVID. Not that I'm talking about, Hey, uh, there's. A billion people that survived COVID, <laughs> you know. There's a a, a whole other a, a billion people that are not in a war, so you know whatever that might be. So I don't I don't do that. So I, I try and find quality stuff that's going to help me um, early in the morning, and then keep on going, keep on going. Um, another thing I do that I, I I suppose it really leads into officiating is. I do not get locked in on the time frame of, of, oh, it's time to this, time to do this. If I, you know, whatever, a quiz comes out on a Monday, you know, I do that quiz not like before the deadline or right away when it comes out. I do it when I know that I can give it an hour of undivided attention. That's when I do it. I, it's on my list of things to do for the next two weeks or whatever it is. I don't tell myself let's do it right away, so it's out of the table, because I that doesn't help me if I do it right away. But don't give it its undivided attention while I'm still trying to got two ears to my wife and you know or one I'm sorry one ear to my wife and one ear to my daughter, and then hmm. don't forget the dog needs to go out, and I'm trying to do this quiz. So I want to make sure I can give it my its undivided attention for that hour or so, and that's how I think I'm able to you know, do things to a level that I believe is is above average, we'll call it. No different than working on a field. If I want to do the edging on the field, I want to do it when I know I have the time to do the edging on the field. I don't want to do it where I say, hey, I'm only going to get half of it done. You know, or if I get tired, I'll stop. I got real tired edging the field this a few weeks ago, real tired. But I finished it because I knew that was something that I had set out to do and I wanted to finish that project. So I'm feel real confident that I haven't answered any of those questions that you just asked <laughs> but it's um the best best part of my day is the first hour
3: you know I, I I like what you said because I think there's a lot of people that maybe are listening to this that would go, oh, yeah, I, I need to do that. Like, I I need to get up early. Like, that needs to be part of my culture, right? Mm-hmm. But there's other people listening to this that go, oh, I could never do that. And not never as in I don't want to or whatever. But that's not the best thing for them in order to have a healthy culture. Maybe it's because of – um their, their work schedule. Maybe their work schedule doesn't allow for that, whatever, right? Maybe it's a person that has to carve out time late at night. Maybe it's a person that has to find that break in the afternoon to be able to refocus and refresh. What I like about what you've said is that part of setting your culture means that you have found what is vital for you to operate at your best. And I like that Mm -hmm. because you've identified it. And if somebody else came along and said, well, you know, Jeff, you'd really be better off if you slept till seven in the morning because the way everything would work would be better for you. And then if you got this done later in the day instead of going to bed at 8.30 or whatever, that really would be more beneficial to you. You would have enough conviction to be able to say, that's actually not what's best for me. What's best for me is because I've seen it played out over time, I know how it affects me, I know what it does. And what I see a lot of us do is we we listen to advice, or you know, for those of us that are wanting to advance in our lives, in our careers, in our avocations, whatever, we hear what somebody else is doing and go, I wanna try that, I wanna do that, right? Mm-hmm. And then we end up trying six different things and none of them stick, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you made the statement, i I want to do something when I know I can finish it mm-hmm. right i i try to to not take on anything new that I can't commit to for seven weeks because if i can't if I can't do seven weeks of it, I am not going to keep doing it I know okay. that beyond a shadow of a doubt
2: so you're talking about a lifestyle scenario. I'm right? talking about
3: lifestyle stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really talking about almost anything, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, let's say that I'm gonna I'm gonna change up my diet regimen. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I know that the fifth week of that diet regimen is a vacation where mm-hmm. I know I'm not gonna be strict on that vacation, mm-hmm. right? Okay, well then I'm I'm probably not gonna change up my diet regimen until I get back from that vacation. Mm-hmm. And you could say, well, that puts you five weeks later. Whatever. No, it sets me up to be more successful. Cause I find that when I can do something for seven weeks, I've put in a habit that will continue. So I've not shared this publicly with anyone. So this is this is semi frightening to me because now there'll at least be three people out there listening that can hold me accountable to this. Do I right? even know what you're gonna say? You don't know what I'm getting ready to say. So I hate running. I hate running with a passion that consumes my soul. <laughs> If there is not as a, much as a cold, if, if there is not a <laughs> dog chasing me or a donut truck in front of me, mm-hmm, you are yeah, not going to find me running, right? True. And yeah. uh, and I absolutely hate it. But I've been looking at trying to just change a, a few different things with my physical conditioning and stuff like that. And I said, you know what? Like, I, I don't want to be one of those crazy people that have a 26.2 sticker on the back of their car, <laughs> right? Car. I might be the one that gets the .262 sticker uh, on the back of my car. But I thought, you know what? I want to I want to be able to run a 5K. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And I was nervous about that because I have a, a knee issue and some other things like that and all. So I started a couch to 5K program, right? Okay. But I waited to start it. I had a time when I wanted to start it. And I knew because some things I had going on, I wouldn't be able to, to run when the program had set out for me to run. So I waited to start that. Mm-hmm. And I'm early in the process now. But I'm doing that stuff every day that I'm supposed to do to be able to run a 5K. Mm-hmm. And that to me is, is a big deal because I think – I don't know yet, but I think once I get through that, it's probably just going to be, it's going to be a habit where I could go out and run. Mm -hmm. I don't like that about myself. Like it almost makes me feel dirty to say that I would want to go out and run (laughs) because I think Mm. running's horrible,
0: right? Mm -hmm.
3: But by the time I get through this, who knows? I may find out I like it Mm -hmm. or I may find out I don't. And I'm just really thrilled that I followed through with something, Mm -hmm. you know, that I set out for myself. But uh the only way that we begin to change culture is by giving culture time to change you said when you put out those rules for your baseball team 5 years ago when you started changing that culture it didn't happen right then i agree it took time to make that happen you know so then my my next question comes how do you decide the things in, whether it's a, a team, whether it's uh, officiating, whether it's your family, whatever it might be. How do you decide what, what things need to be a part of your culture and what things don't? How do you decide what's important to you?
2: Well, I need to go backwards first because you're to 5K. Yep, I wish you the best of luck. Mm -hmm. I probably hate running just as much as you do. Mm -hmm. But I believe the way I would approach a couch to 5K, I would just go run a 5K. Mm -hmm. just go run a 5K. So the couch to 5K is what? Seven weeks of training. Is that what we're saying or what? Mine's four and a half. Four and a half weeks of training. Yep. I would just say I'm going to run a 5K for the next four weeks. One a week for the next four weeks. And I bet by the end of four weeks, I would be able to finish a 5K. Because if that's something, you know, you're going to finish them all, whether or not you run the whole thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You still potentially could be four and a half weeks of training and go out and try and run a 5K and still not run the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I am a believer of just go out and do it. Just go. Because I, my fear is if I told myself, okay, I'm going to do the couch to 5K. And then I go out and train for four and a half weeks and i in these four and a half weeks. I just hate it. I just hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I stop four weeks into it. And I'm just not going to do it. If I would have said, I'm going to go out and run a 5k. I go out and run a 5k. And, I'll be darned. I finished it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I took me 45 minutes, but I got it done. I think I'll do another one next week. I'll do another one. Let's do one for four weeks straight. To me, that's the way we improve. That's the way we find out that we can do things that we never thought we could do. Um, as I was talking about edging the field, I you know I had never taken on edging the field in my life.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I had never done it. Did you know some research on YouTube, just kind of the best ways or whatever it was? And I said, okay, you know, I'm gonna, Wednesday we don't have a game, so I'm going to go out there Wednesday and do it. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. Only knowing of the 35 or you know maybe an hour for the YouTube research on how to do it. Now, mm-hmm. granted, it's not rocket science. And you don't know what kind of work they're getting into. And that day, it was windy. Mm-hmm. It was at, I don't know, whatever. Gale force winds, a dugout blew over one time. You know, the whole thing, right? <laughs> you know what? I'm out there the whole time, and I did it. Um, so that's where you and I differ, mm-hmm. I think. I, I am the kind of person that is going to do it. And as I'm doing it, so if I was going to do a couch to 5K or whatever, so I'd run my 5K... And Like, okay, I did, I finished it. Then I would do a research for that week on how to be a little bit better, or you know, let what are some things that can improve that. And then the second week, I had to go out and do it again, you know. And I I would, I really like to see this. Who would be it? Who would run a better 5k if we just ran for or you trained for it? And you know, mm-hmm. who's better that way? So now, granted, that's you know, it's. Chad Ozzy, Jeff Cross, you know, we're two mm-hmm. different people, sure. two different cultures. So,
3: um, Well, and I think part of it has to do with what are your goals, not to go back to our earlier debate that we had in a previous uh, don't episode. me started. I already you know, deleted that episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you're, If your goal was just to run a 5K, mm-hmm. then your way of going about it might work. For me, it's about creating a new habit creating something that is different. And so having having the goal of eventually running the 5K, okay, that's, that's great. That's something that I'm going to accomplish in the process of doing this. But part of it is having the self-discipline, the goal of the self-discipline of going out and doing something every day as I prep for this, as I do that. And it gives me something to follow. So there's some people out there that they hear what you say. Oh, yeah, yeah, that just makes sense. Yeah, let's just let's just go run a five k. You mm-hmm. know, but it could be that physically they they can't. Could be that would even be damaging for them. You know, from a health standpoint or whatever, just to take and go do. There are other people that look at my way and go, well, like that's just ridiculous. Why would I take all that time when I could just go run and I could just go do? Again, this is this is part of that culture idea. Mm-hmm. And if, if I sit there and go, well, I got to do it Jeff's way because Jeff's way is right. It's just as wrong as saying, <laughs> I got to do it Chad's way because mm-hmm. Chad's way is right. Mm-hmm. I have to find out. So, And it could be that somebody says, well, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to run a 5k tomorrow mm-hmm. and they do it and they fail miserably. And then they go, well, maybe I need to go do the couch to 5k and see how this works. Maybe they start doing the couch to 5K, and two days into it, they're like, "Well, I could run a 5K." So they go out the third day and run a 5K, and now they go, "Well, I am going to try to get one of those 26.2 stickers in mm-hmm. the back of my car because we're all different."
2: So you have to. So you want to do this couch to 5K? Mm-hmm. You're going to spend four and a half weeks yep. trying to accomplish it. Yep. And you hate running.
3: Absolutely. If you all could only see Jeff's face right now, none of this is computing with me. Sure. So one of the things about me is that I respond well to a challenge. That's just me. I I would say
2: I do the same thing. Okay, Okay.
3: I respond well to a challenge. You know, when I first got into umpiring, people said you can't because.
2: Yeah. Right. Right?
3: Mm -hmm. They gave me three or four. You know, because mm. yep. of why I couldn't. Yeah. And now Jeff's sitting right next to a, a shelf of baseballs that are either from Division One or pro baseball games that I've had the opportunity to work. Yeah, a bunch of them over here. You know, and I, I feel really good about that because it was a challenge and I took on that challenge and I responded to that challenge. So sometimes the challenges that I get in my life are from outside Okay, they're, they're outside challenges that are placed on me okay. sometimes especially when I realize I'm at a little bit of a plateau uh, so for me from a, a health and fitness standpoint I'm at a little bit of a plateau right now okay I haven't haven't gained but I haven't lost in a while uh, just some things are, are there I'm like okay what what could I do to challenge myself that would be different that would give me the opportunity to experience something and you know I'll I'll go back and and I'll put it this way because we talk about culture. If that's kind of the framework of, of what we're talking about here. If you remember back in the, in the nineties, there was uh, Jerry Tarkanian and the UNLV running rebels. Yep. Sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. If you asked anybody about the culture of that basketball team, that was a winning culture. Absolutely a winning culture. Now at the same time that they were very successful, there was also a team down in Bloomington, Indiana that goes by the Hoosiers that were a very successful basketball team and had a very successful culture. Those two cultures could not have been any more different. Mm -hmm. One was regimented and it was highly disciplined and, uh, some people might even say to the extreme, right. You know, under a coach like Bobby Knight. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so you had that culture that operated one way you had LB that was loose and kind of do your own thing and let's be flashy and let's be fun and let's be all that. And yet with that group of people, it was a very successful culture. Neither culture lasted long-term at either place. It just didn't, mm-hmm. right? Things mm-hmm. that Indiana have changed since then, things that UNLV only lasted for a a period of time. But at that time, they were both very successful cultures. Um, We see the same thing in the baseball world, right? There are teams that rely on hitting the home run and there are other teams that rely on pitching and some teams that rely on playing small ball and having speed and mm-hmm. whatever what they've found is a culture that works for them that they are going to invest in. And because of that, they find success through it. doesn't mean that they couldn't find success through another culture, but they found one that clicks and resonates and works for them. Mm-hmm. I actually had a, uh, a conversation with my wife yesterday. Uh, my wife's in physical therapy. Um, and she had uh, a situation where she was talking about patients and therapists and how, Sometimes what two therapists could do the exact same thing with a patient and that patient responds well to one and not to the other. Okay. Right. Well, that's because sometimes you just, you just click with certain people. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was, maybe had nothing to do with therapists. Maybe it was just the day, maybe one day they woke up and it was a hard day and a tough day and it didn't work. And the next day when they woke up, it was, Oh, I feel good. And And I'm going to give this a shot and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is is that there's there's this idea that there's this fit that happens. I was in uh, music in college. And you would have two different voice teachers that were teaching the same thing. But a student might click with one and not the other, right? Some of that is just this idea of, what is the right fit for that person? And I think we see that in this idea of culture. You know, if, if I tried to put your square peg, you know, in somebody else's round hole, it's Mm -hmm. not going to work. You know, you are unique. You are your person. And I I love this idea that we have of always wanting to get better and always wanting to do that. And I think it's great for us to take information about how I might do something or how you might do something or how somebody who's done stuff a whole lot better than us has done something. Mm -hmm. But it really boils down to what is your culture? What is important to you? And then how are you going to best fit the things that you're trying to accomplish within that culture?
2: Well, and it it is it's it is about that, but there, I believe there's such thing as bad cultures too. Absolutely,
3: there's definitely bad cultures. You know,
2: this is there. There's many teams or kids or families or whatever it is that it, you know their culture is play Xbox all night. That's what their culture is. And listen, I'm not saying my right. My way is right or your way is right. Your way is right. But I believe right right now that way, that way is wrong. Sure. Um, so I can tell you, I, I don't know what the right culture is, but I definitely know what the wrong culture is.
3: I mean, I think we see that as sports officials all the time. I mean, how many times have you walked onto a court or a field, and this is a statement I've made in my head, I would never want my kid playing in this program. You know? So, when you say because that, that that's about culture,
2: yeah. When you say that, because what are you referring to? What are you referring to because they're 0 and 19? Are you referring to because the coach is in the corner smoking a cigarette, having a beer? What are you referring to? Or is it because are the coaches too tough on the kids? You know, what's the what's your because I, I think we've all said that, you know yep. what I mean? We've all made that that past that judgment in some ways, shape, or form. I,
3: I will tell you, it's never about wins and losses,
2: okay. Fair enough.
3: Because I have seen teams with zero wins, literally zero wins, where I would go, I would want my kid as a part of that program. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it has to do with how they are building and developing human beings. I agree. That, to me, is what it's about.
2: Finally, we agree on
3: something. (laughs) It's nice every (laughs) once in a while, right? That's what we'll title today. Finally, we agree. That's right. No, um, I I think that... uh, I think there are winning programs out there that I would not want my kids to be a part of, because I think the culture of how they go about getting what they get is not what I would want to develop my kids into the people I want them to become. Sure, um, and and vice versa. Now, g- greatest thing in the world would be to find a culture that is that does those things and is also a winning culture. But I believe that the idea of winning is is so skewed. And so I'm going to bring it back to officiating for a minute here, right? So in officiating, we get the idea that winning is working the big game. Winning is getting the bigger conference. Winning is working whatever, right? So for me, I, I could say winning is becoming a division one official in two sports. Okay, that, that would be winning. But that might... That might not happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if I create a culture that is pushing me towards that for my life, then what happens is I'm going to experience winning in lots of other ways along that path. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe it's in the people that I'm able to, to mentor and encourage along the way. Maybe it's in some of the experiences I get at other levels Uh, But I I think that's a big part of what we need to be doing. We need to be looking at uh, a winning culture is not just wins and losses. A winning culture is how do I develop along the way?
2: Well, right. The the culture is, you know, if if we're talking about uh, the culture of a baseball team, that culture is more about when a teacher has one of my baseball kids in their class. Mm Mm-hmm that culture that we've developed on the the baseball field spills over into the classroom. Mm -hmm. Spills over into the dining room table with dinner with the family. Um, Spills over with their brothers and sisters. So that's what the culture, that's what we're doing. Um, And it all comes back to, you know, our values, as we've spoken about before. Our our culture is going to be built off of our values. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not because... I you know love it when I see all the kids in the same uniform. It's just a culture because it, it it instills better values when they go out into the real world. They go to they go to go punch you into work uh, in six years or whatever that might be, or in college or whatever that might be. So I want to go back to your you know your. I know you're, I know you're a numbers guy, man. I know it. And I'm I'm trying, trying not to fight it, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, you're like, okay, I'm kind of at a plateau in my fitness, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Me personally, I mean, I step on a scale, right? We all step on the scale, but it can be such a defeating, a defeating purpose you know, you eat whatever it your whatever diet you're wanting to eat, and you step on a scale and you didn't lose any weight, you know, because it can be defeating, but it's not, but it's the culture of your diet that makes you who you are.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I just would prefer everyone, myself included, right? Let's not pay attention to the number on the scale, but I want to pay attention to what the doctor says when I go to him and go, hey, yeah, you're in pretty good health. Good job. Or, to if I want to feel really good about myself, you know, whatever you go to the grocery store, and you walk through the grocery store, one, you're not winded, two, you're not riding a scooter through the thing, and three, you're not, you know, every whatever fifty people in a grocery store, forty nine of them are you have to get a big belly sticking out and all those things. So those are the things that are encouraging to me more than huh, yeah. Still two ten. You know what I mean? Can't get off that two ten number. I'm plateaued. So I don't I don't I don't wanna say I don't, mm-hmm. because we all we all kinda of do with that number, but I believe that numbers guys like yourself can put themselves at a disadvantage when it comes to elevating their physical fitness, their their um, their elevation and officiating because you look at the number of games you got or the number of conference tournaments you have so mm-hmm. um instead of the culture of hey listen my culture is i'm going to show up 90 as part of the game i'm going to have shine shoes i am going to have press clothes oh i'm sorry we don't shine our <laughs> shoes anymore i haven't umpired in years bro <laughs> <laughs> what you're going to have clean shoes on. i like that, That's is that good. you know what i mean yeah back in the day
3: I was, we still we still we still clean our shoes before every baseball right, game. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So what are you laughing at? I
3: just it, the way you said. It, I all I could think of was the basketball guy with the old what were those spot built uh, yeah shoes. You know <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. that you could like take the turtle wax to. Like yeah. that's all I could imagine in my mind is Jeff over in the corner buffing up some uh, patent right. leather. That's shoes. right,
2: man. I was listen. I did all that stuff, and that was just a culture that I was raised on. Sure, absolutely. Um, you now granted, they've made that easier for us, and sure. I'm okay with easier. As long as we still have the same look, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't necessarily do that in basketball anymore. Um, but I think there's some, there's some value in that there's value in creating that culture of what we do day in and day out on a baseball field that you may not see the win in a conference tournament assignment.
3: Yeah. Well, and here's the thing that I I would say, and again, so if we're, if we're talking about culture, let's, let, let's push back on the numbers thing. Uh, yeah, let's other, push back on it. I'm yeah, ready. let's push back. Mm-hmm. You like that? So, I operate, you know, my, my day job is is at a church. So, I, I'm a pastor at a church. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a a real danger uh, in that environment, or even in, in not for profits in general, about focusing on numbers, right? How many people do we have in service today yeah. versus how many did somebody else have, mm-hmm. or whatever, right? That kind of thing. And there's a, a, a writer that I really respect who made the statement he said we can say numbers aren't important all we want but numbers are important because numbers are people not meaning people in general Mm -hmm. but people specifically right each each person that walks in the door you know you can attach a number to them or not but that that's a person that's Mm -hmm. that's somebody that we're trying to impact Mm -hmm. i could say that numbers are important with my health but how is it that the doctor is going to look at me and say yeah you're you're in pretty good health well it's because my numbers are good you know whether that's my blood pressure numbers or my cholesterol my triglycerides my weight my whatever right Mm -hmm. it comes it comes down to those to those numbers now it's a little different when it, we're talking about things that we just absolutely can't control. Yeah. I I can't control ultimately whether I get a conference tournament assignment. I can't control whether I get hired in a certain league or not. I, I can't do that, but I can use those numbers to help point me towards the direction of, am I setting myself up to be in a position for that to happen? You know, and well, let, let me finish before okay. you, before you push back here. All right. Okay. And here, here's, here's why I say this because it's, it's not about that being the end goal. It's not about the numbers being the end goal. Okay. Okay. It's not, oh man, if I, could, if I could just get down to 195 pounds, then everything would be right in the world. Because if that was what I was using numbers to do, I think that would be disastrous. Because what if you got to 196? You know, right. to, to go from 450 plus mm-hmm. to 196, most people would say is miraculous. Mm-hmm. Right. But if I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, I didn't meet my goal because I didn't get to 195. Well, that's dumb. I mean, it's just it's just dumb. Right. Mm-hmm. It's self-defeating. Mm-hmm. But if I use those numbers to help me within the culture that I'm creating for myself to go, hey, you know what? Those numbers haven't changed in a significant amount of time but I'm not seeing other development. I'm not seeing other things happen. So like if if my numbers weren't going down, but I'm I feel like I'm adding muscle or I feel like I'm getting stronger, or if I feel like other things are happening, then there may be no issue with that. But if I'm not feeling some of those things, okay, well maybe I need to change something up. Maybe I need to do something differently. So it's not about the number. It's about the numbers being used to help me understand Where am I at? Where am I going? And I I think we can do that. And I I think we can, even with with the number of games, right? So if if my games are going down, Mm -hmm. right? If last year I worked 60 college basketball games, and next year I work 40, Mm -hmm. those numbers need to tell me something. Maybe... Maybe I need to work harder. Maybe there's a conditioning aspect. Maybe, wow, they they saw that I messed up a couple rules last year, and so now those coordinators don't have the same confidence in me that they did the year before, or whatever it is. And again, not so that those numbers are the the key, right? But I use them to help me understand where I'm where I'm at sometimes it's totally out of our control this year for baseball umpires. If your games went down, it's because you lived in the Midwest during the craziest spring ever, right? There, are just not as many games getting played Mm -hmm. because of it. Mm So you may not be able to take anything from that. (laughs) By the same token, your games may have gone up and maybe there's nothing you can take away from it because as games were getting rescheduled, you just happened to be open on those days that other people weren't. You know, but I think there's a lot of times when we can use the numbers. Again, not as the end goal, but to help us know and understand where we're going.
2: And that's, I, listen, you put it up on a tee for me. I'm ready. I'm ready to fight back on this one. I love it. Just because I've developed a culture in baseball, mm-hmm. and we still only got one win this week. This week, this year. That's right. So I can't depend on the numbers to know what I'm doing is correct. I could have that same culture next year, and my schedule is the same, but the nine other teams in our conference lost all lost six seniors, and I gained four, and I haven't changed a thing. Mm -hmm. So the number means zero to me. What matters to me is what I do on a day in and day out. Developing that culture, developing my work ethic, developing those things, and you win, you win, you lose, you lose, but the culture is still the same.
3: Oh, thank you so much for teeing it up for me. I love this. Because what you already just said was that wins and losses ultimately is not your goal. Right? Right, yeah. Okay, so then that's not the number you're worried about. You just said body language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. So if all three of your pitchers in your game today give bad body language when you pull them out of the game, mm-hmm. that's three. Right. Okay. All right. Oh, here we go. With right? That. You're, right. You're, right. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. And then you have that conversation with your kids, mm-hmm. and tomorrow only two out of three have mm-hmm. bo- bad body language. And yep. hey, guess what? You're trending in the right direction. Yep. Okay. It would be so easy to beat yourself up about the two that didn't. Mm-hmm right? Mm -hmm. But instead you're looking towards the one that did. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you build on for the Mm -hmm. next day. And I think that's the one that, especially for us as officials, I think that's the one that needs to be so key. Uh, baseball, baseball is the only sport where you can fail two thirds of the time and be an all-star, right? Mm -hmm. We've all heard that. Mm -hmm. If if you, if you get one hit out of every three at bats, you are going to be an all-star, right? All right. 333 batting average or higher, right? I mean, that's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome stuff. So that is a sport where we are used to failure being the norm. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that for a minute, you know? Mm-hmm. But you're going to fail more often than you're going to succeed. And great coaches talk about how even in those moments where it seems like failure, it's a success because now that fly out to right field scored a run, that was stated on third, Mm -hmm. you know, or you bunting for an out, moved a runner over to second base so that now they're in scoring position. Okay. You, you have those kinds of things that are in place. So now it's not just about wins losses, right? It's about what am I able to accomplish? So as an official, I, I may say, you know what? I, I didn't get more games than I, than I had last year. I had the exact same number of games. Fine. But you know what? I felt more comfortable. I had a higher number of games this year where I felt comfortable on the court compared to how many I did last year. I had more games where I felt confident in knowing where the shot clock was at than I did last Mm -hmm. year. I had more baseball games this year where I was simply reacting to what I needed to do on a three man crew instead of having to think about it every second that I was out there. True. We're still talking about numbers. Okay. Just maybe not wins and losses.
2: Well, and I don't think they're actually hard numbers either. True. You know what I mean? You know, we're talking, they're not hard um, stat like numbers. Because mm-hmm. again, if you talk about body language of my three pitchers today. Mm hmm. Um, well that's, that's just my perception uh-huh. of their body language. Sure. They may think their body language is perfectly fine. Mom and dad may believe their body language is perfectly fine. So I feel like I'm trending in the right way yep. in my baseball in the baseball program at Grace. Um, there's probably many people on the outside looking in and go, they still only got one win.
3: Mm-hmm. They're not
2: doing anything different. Probably need to a different baseball coach. Whatever they're saying, right? So – I think that's what I'm kind of I get it's a number. Yeah. But I do I'm not a fan of this this hard number that's that says it all. The hard number on the scale. That's a hard number. Sure. That you're putting a lot of huh air quotes, pun intended, weight on. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Some of us more than others. Yeah, right. You're putting a lot of weight (laughs) on that number when really you need to be putting weight on your day to day actions. The culture you're developing, and you have to, you have done that. You've developed a culture over the past four or five years that's put you in this situation today. Mm-hmm. So that's where it can be defeating. Like, man, because it, it can be defeating to players, coaches, and everyone. Man, I've really worked on changing the culture. We're doing that, but we're still not winning. What else can I do? Well, maybe there's you know maybe you do need to adjust the lineup you know whatever mm-hmm. that may be but you have to take uh, pride in the culture changes you've made to know that when i go to the game today everyone's going to have their uniform and you know when i have practice on friday everyone's going to have the practice uniform and no one's going to be late and no one's going to be complaining about arm soreness or whatever that might be because they're going they've that culture we've developed over the past 6 years has come to this mm-hmm um, so that way I can actually concentrate on coaching those games as opposed to, oh, well, here I go. It's been you know, 90 minutes of practice on culture and it's 30 on actual
3: practice. Yeah. And culture begets culture. And what I mean by that is, is once you have a culture in place, that culture many times helps perpetuate itself. Um, if you have a, if you have a, a basketball team or a baseball team where 90% of the players are returning players, it's not going to be hard to teach that culture to the new 10%. I
2: would agree. If because they're going to teach it to the new 10 That's
3: exactly right. I don't
2: have to do that, right?
3: If you've only got 10% of your players returning, mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard to perpetuate that culture, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, this discussion today, I think is really good for us as officials, I really think it specifically hits as officials, but I think it hits us just in life in general, no matter who we are. This idea that culture is something that only you can decide what is the right culture for you. Now we can all look at it from the outside and go, Oh, that's a bad culture. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a good culture, whatever. But you're the only one that can ultimately decide for you. What does your culture need to be?
2: I would say this though, you're the one deciding, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: but if, if, if you're deciding this is the culture you want to leave, you know, or the, the lead, I guess, and develop within yourself, but you find yourself, you know, not being part of a day-to-day business with other people and, and, and developing, giving, giving good back to the people around you. Don't know if that culture is
3: right. Absolutely. But I I can't decide for you what your culture is going to be. I agree. I can't. I agree. Only Jeff Cross can decide what Jeff Cross's culture is going to be. Only right. Chad Ozy can decide what Chad Ozy's culture is going to be. Um, and for each one of us that are listening to this, thinking through this idea, we're the only ones that can decide. And, and we can choose to have a bad culture. Mm-hmm. There are lots of sports teams out there that have chosen to have a bad culture, and some of those with a bad culture have won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them have been very successful. Very few of them have seen that success last.
2: Houston Astros.
3: Very few of them are looked back on with positive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They just, they haven't. So tonight, and I'll kind of begin to to land the plane here. Good. Good. Yeah, tonight my son uh, is going with his grandparents to the White Sox Royals baseball game. All right, and uh, my son is super excited. I, my my folks have done a gift for each one of the grandkids when they turn eighteen; they get a, a special thing to go do. So, like, they took my daughter to go see Hamilton. Uh, My son turned 18 during COVID when there wasn't the opportunity to go do stuff. So they delayed that, right? right? You know, (laughs) they they delayed it. And so he's going tonight to watch the Royals play the White Sox. And my son is a huge Royals fan. He'll be wearing his Salvador Perez jersey Mm. to the game tonight, number 13, um, the Royals beat the White Sox last night, and he was automatically putting stuff on social media. And I'm going, oh, buddy, like, don't, don't get ahead of yourself. We still got another game that you're going to show up to, right? Yeah. And uh, he he was so excited because the starting pitcher tonight for the Kansas City Royals is Zach Grinke. Okay, Zach's pitched all over the major leagues. He's been an all-star. He's won a Cy Young, all that kind of stuff. When Caleb went to his very first Royals game, at Kauffman Stadium, this was 13 years ago. Mm. Uh, the pitcher he saw in his very first baseball game was Zach Greinke pitching for the Royals. Mm. After that year, he left the Royals. This year, he's just come back to the Royals, and so he messaged me saying, "Dad, Greinke's pitching." Mm. And my immediate response was, uh, "Way to rub it in, because I, you know, I got a game I don't get to go yeah. to go watch, you know." He's like, no, I just thought that was so cool that the very first Royals game I ever saw was Zach Grinke pitching. And now here I'm I'm going back, you know, after COVID, Mm -hmm. my first time to get to go to the game and I get to see Zach Grinke pitch. I'm like, that's super awesome. Like that is that is such a neat bookend. And when when he looks back on that, you know, I don't know that he even remembers who won the game. The first time mm. he saw Zach Grinky pitch, mm-hmm. but he remembers all the stuff that went in it. Mm-hmm. You know, he remembers being at the ballpark for the first time and a picture of him eating a hot dog, you mm-hmm. know, with the big scoreboard in the yeah, background right. and all that kind of stuff. And tonight he's going to watch that game with his grandparents, you know, who love and care about him and don't cheer for the Royals. You know, mm-hmm. they're going because they cheer for their grandson. Right. You know, yeah. and, you know, how how cool is that? So when, when you look back at that culture, you know, that, that culture is about what lasts long-term. So, you know, we're going to get to the end of our officiating careers. And within minutes, nobody's going to care how many games we worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to the end of our parenting careers. And nobody's going to care how much money we made. Yeah. We're going to get to the end of our spouse careers and nobody's going to care what kind of car we drove. Yep. They're going to care what kind of legacy did we leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we can use numbers to help point us towards, are we being successful in the culture that we're trying to create? Mm-hmm. I don't think they're the end goal. Um, I don't think running the 5k is the end goal. But I think developing things in myself that are going to make me better helps me accomplish all the other goals that I want to accomplish. And so, you know, my hope for those of us that are listening to this, as we seek to be uncommon, Mm. is as you decide and define for yourself what your culture needs to be, don't sacrifice your culture for a win.
2: That's that's probably the best thing you've said all day. You know, you said a lot of good things, but that's really don't sacrifice your culture for the win.
3: Yeah. Because long term that's not what's gonna last. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, they're not gonna remember your record, right? They're gonna remember your culture, gonna remember your legacy. They're gonna talk about that. Absolutely. And, And if you do win, they're probably gonna talk about how you won through your legacy and through your culture.
3: Absolutely. Everybody, thanks so much for hanging with us through another episode of the Uncommon Drive. Do us a favor. Leave us a review. Uh, five Please. stars would be appreciated. Uh, but whatever you feel is appropriate, give us a uh, review mm-hmm. and uh, you know write something out for us. Give us a rating. All that kind of stuff. It helps us as we move forward. It's also a great encouragement. If you've got questions, comments, anything like that, shoot us an email at uncommondrivepodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. We're going to have an episode coming up soon that's got some of your questions and want to give you the opportunity to get those in before we do that. Have a great week. Live out your legacy in an uncommon way this week. Mm -hmm. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Uncommon Drive Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating.
2: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go
3: the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.